0: What London Can Be is brought to you by London Community Foundation, an organization dedicated to improving communities across London and Middlesex County. Welcome to What London Can Be, the podcast where we navigate our shifting world, shine a light on the issues our city is facing, and explore the innovative, made in London solutions to critical challenges in our community. I'm Diane Silva, Director of Philanthropy at Lending Community Foundation. Today, I'll be speaking with Chuck Lazenby, Executive Director of Unity Project, an organization that provides emergency shelter and supportive housing in London. LCF highly prioritizes the creation of affordable housing in the community, and I'm excited to have such a vocal and passionate advocate for the people experiencing homelessness in London on our show today. Hi, Chuck, how are you? I'm just fine, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Um, so, for a lot of our listeners, they may not know who you are, so can you please share a little bit about yourself?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so, I've been with the Unity Project for nearly 20 years. Um, I'm a founding member of the Unity Project. Uh Unity Project started as a tent city protest um, in London in the summer of 2001. Um, I am London born and raised, so been here all my life. Um, and, you know, have really been, I guess, inspired by um, the opportunity to see all the changes that have happened in the community throughout that time. So really thankful to have been a part of that.
0: Okay. And I'm really interested to know, so you said you were part of that movement, right? The that, the that With the tent city back in the early 2000s. And so prior to that, was this a cause that was near and dear to you or how what drew you in?
1: Mhm. Uh I mean yeah, that's an interesting question to answer. It I was involved in activism. Um primarily environmental activism. I had worked with Greenpeace and um a couple of organizations out west. Um and you know, participated in, in various demonstrations uh, kind of across the country. Um, and one of the things that, you know, me and my friends really kind of recognized is that we weren't doing a lot in our own community. Um, and so we wanted to bring attention to different um, kind of social injustices that we were seeing. And so we actually started a, a group we called the Action Family um, and, you know, we did various things in the community, um, you know, things from, uh, you know, some, some protests uh, to indie media fairs um, to sit-ins. Uh, and the issue of poverty uh, did come up among our group as something we wanted to do something about. And so in the background of of the um, Canada Summer Games coming to London and, you know, just the movement of beautifying the city and creating this, um, you know, um, yeah, this beautiful space. Like we've got no problems here. Uh, we wanted to highlight it during that time because certainly poverty and homelessness is, um, a big issue in London and that's
0: how that started. Mm-hmm. Actually, now that you mentioned that, I do remember now that movement. And uh, good for you for taking a moment in time where you're right. Our city was celebrating. Oh, we look so great. Welcome. Come to London. And good for you for using that as an opportunity to showcase the other side of what's happening in London. Mm -hmm. Um, For our listeners, uh, can you describe what exactly Unity Project does? Mm -hmm. Who are you? Yeah, so... uh
1: Historically, and I say that just because things have adjusted a little bit during the pandemic, um, but we have a emergency shelter program for uh, individuals of all genders um, of 16 years of age and older, um, as well as supportive housing. Um, We are our participatory program, so people who would come to stay with us would participate in kind of the day-to-day operations from the cooking and cleaning, as well as um, working with staff on their own plan to, uh, find housing once they leave. Uh, and so with, we work with people on a one-on-one basis based on what their identified needs are, um, and help them move, you know, towards hitting those goals. Uh, we also provided a lot of drop-in service, um, as well to folks who might need the phone might need the shower washroom or access staff support. Um, yeah. And that that's pretty much what our program was in a summary. Beautiful. Mm -hmm.
0: And so, um, you're right, we're here we are uh, with the pandemic. And, you know, people are talking about that homelessness is a lot more visible. Um, How big is really this homelessness issue in London from your perspective?
1: I I get caught up, you know, in this kind of question of like, how bad is it? Or how big is it? Or, um, you know, is it worse? Or it's just, it's been bad. For many years, right? and so it's it's really difficult to create a scale um you know, when you're in it, and you're you're just working with it every day that it, it it's it's been bad in the city for a very long time. Um, and I think that you know one of the things about the pandemic, that it has uh, because services have had to reduce a lot of their in-person support, that it has made it more obvious to folks that may not have seen that before. Um, so things are bad. We're in a crisis, right? And I think that that is, it's really important for people to understand is that this, this is a crisis for our city. Um, and a lot of concern about the pandemic making things worse, um, with people with loss of jobs, uh, certainly, um, with people being able to keep up with rent in that context as well. It's been really tough for folks, um, in this city. Um, so it's bad, real bad.
0: Yeah, I yeah, and and I can only imagine, and I believe that it's just been chronically bad. Um, but for some reason, like, like you said, it's just more visible. But uh, hopefully, it creates an opportunity too for us to do more action around this. So another area that I wanted to touch on is the um, the tent cities. So I, we know that that's been featured in the press a lot. Um, you know that a lot of them are uh, living along the Thames. And for people that are in these situations, what is it really like for them um, to be living in these tent-like situations? Well, I don't think I can answer that from uh, an experience perspective.
1: Uh, I haven't lived uh, in a tent uh, um, on the river, right? And I think that, you know, one of the the things about my role is to really recognize the things I, I don't know. Um, to not convey something that you know is is a guess, and that's what I would be doing. I think that what I can say is that it's there's a severe lack of access to basic needs when you're in that situation and and that compromises people in a lot of ways. Um and so, you know, certainly concerns about safety, about hygiene, about um, you know, are people, eating and are they sleeping well? are people being harmed? Um, or are people finding opportunities to create community that we haven't done a good job as a community uh, in the broader sense to to establish um, spaces that that can happen so I, I think there's kind of two perspectives on um, you know what that is like from a support perspective is that it it can, create a sense of community where that doesn't exist, but it also does create some, I think, health and safety uh, risks for
0: folks. So touching on that. So what would be the ideal situation um, in addressing this homelessness situation? Cause you're talking about that sense of community, which I can see be very important for those people, right? Because they, mm-hmm. they sense a camaraderie, they, they, uh, a sense of belonging with each other and a sense of community. Um, how do you think we should be organizing ourselves to help serve them better or create adequate housing for them or chip thoughts around that?
1: Yeah, I mean I think the 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 core uh, solution to homelessness is housing, right? Um, and everything else we talk around it uh, like around that that as a solution is a band-aid. Um, so really, we have to get at that core issue. We need more housing in this community um, and it, it needs to be affordable for the people who, who need it as well. And and that is certainly the largest con- contributing factor to why we're in this crisis is we don't have enough affordable, accessible housing for people. And so, you know, when we talk about solutions to homelessness, it has to be Uh, grounded in housing um, as that starting point if we don't have that starting point then we're having a very difficult time working with people to uh, ensure some sense of stability to increase those opportunities for community um, you know and, and to you know really address people's basic needs so that we can move towards things like belonging and things like you know Employment or, um, or school or things like that, right? And so I think that we're really missing that core piece and, and the city is really, I think, working hard together to recognize that that is the piece that we need to, um, root ourselves in. It's just we don't have the resources, um, at this time to really bring that forward. So
0: what you're saying is um, you're really not seeing that type of spectrum of housing to address these people at at that severe acute state of homelessness. There really isn't any um, movement happening for that segment in terms of developing affordable housing.
1: Well, there is some movement, but we're catching up from decades. That's right. Of of, um, a lack of new housing, right? Um, this This is one of the issues is that, we do need an extensive investment of resources into, um, into housing, uh, in order to actually, um, you know, address this issue adequately. Um, and this right now, this issue is, is something it seems everybody has a greater understanding of in this moment. And I think the pandemic has contributed to that, right? Is that, you know, when we're all stuck in our homes and told to stay there, the recognition that not having one creates a barrier to that. Um, and so, you know, and that's just one component of it. But I think there is a a heightened sense of understanding of that piece more, more now than, than I've seen in a long time, but we don't have the resources to match that sense of urgency. Right. And so we are playing catch up and, and, um, you know, and so I think that, we we do just need to keep that a priority. It needs to, it needs to remain a priority as we move forward. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely. And I'm glad that this conversation has been accelerated since the pandemic too. Um, at least I'm seeing that, that it's getting a lot of more attention. Absolutely. Um, and now given the pandemic, of course it's had to impact your operations and how you serve your, your people, um, your, um, Now, how have you had to reorganize or adjust during the pandemic, Unity Project specifically? Yeah, we actually uh, packed up in in just a matter of a couple of days and moved ourselves to a
1: hotel for our emergency shelter operations. So that was a lot, uh, a big adjustment for us. But you know, our shelter, with all the things we love about it, the small uh, participatory nature of it just doesn't work well in pandemic. There's no opportunity for physical distancing. We have like a wide open door. Anybody can come in at any point in time. And those things really worked against us. And so having the opportunity to move our shelter operations to a hotel was quite incredible. But it was also quite an adjustment because we are, uh, uh, we manage 50 rooms out of a hotel that is also still a hotel. So still a business. So it's kind of this combination of things that, um, you know, is quite, Quite incredible to actually be able to pull off over this time, uh, but you know we had a, a big learning curve, and and just like the the rest of the population of understanding what exactly is this social physical distancing, what's what's PPE and how to use it, and what's happening with COVID, what kind of risk are we at? Um, you know, we just we really had to learn quickly um, what that looked like in terms of practice. Um, and so what we miss is, you know, that open door that, uh, in the moment support of whoever shows up that we can uh, work with, um, you know, that participatory nature of our program, um, you know, but we've also, uh, been able to afford Opportunity of people that we actually weren't serving well under that circumstance when people have their own private space, um, you know, and access to their own washroom. And, you know, it it creates we are actually able to serve folks that we weren't able to serve there, uh, including pets, including couples, right? Um, and so there's been a lot of benefit to us in terms of doing that service at the hotel.
0: Mm-hmm. And that is, I'm glad you raised that distinction because that is something that you guys do, that you welcome, you know, couples and pets. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing to do instead of separating you know, these uh, Absolutely, yeah. You know, families, couples, uh, especially during such trying times. Mm-hmm. Now, you've described the shift. Now, are there things that you would like to see that you've been able to do? Because you're talking about the hotel system. Uh, are there things that you hope that would continue after the pandemic is resolved?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that we're learning a lot about how to reduce barriers um, in terms of how service can be provided in shelter. And I think that we need to take those lessons quite seriously as we move forward. I think, unfortunately, one of the components is about facility design. And, you know, for uh, from a shelter perspective, there's not often a lot of resources, you know, put forward for considering that. Um, you know, I think that emergency shelter design is quite outdated in a lot of cases um you know that we have shared dorm spaces that it's shared washroom spaces that we are do tend to crowd people in um and so I think that we would like to stay away from that as we move forward and how that actually works and and in real life we'll, we'll see right um And I think the opportunity to be able to accommodate people as they present at the door and not separating people. I mean, if you have a partner, you should be able to stay with your partner, right? If you have a pet, we don't want to separate people and pets. So those are really critical lessons for us. I think the other piece is about the opportunity for people who use substances to not be kicked out of a space because of their substance use. I mean, people at the hotel, they have their own rooms and so we can allow them to treat it as such. Um, And so that's once again, one barrier that we've been able to reduce as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. A lot more dignity, right? uh, With the private space. Absolutely. And it's good that you're pointing this out like the, the physical space. Now, what about urban planning and the, um, the design uh, feed into fostering a sense of belonging in our community? How do you think we can make spaces more welcoming for everyone?
1: Well, I think we could get rid of spikes on the, you know, side of tree planter boxes so people don't sit there, right? I mean, I think we have a lot of things about urban design that actually are built intentionally to keep folks who don't have homes from hanging out. Um, You know, and I think that we need to um, ensure that People feel welcome. Um, I think if you don't, if you don't have a home in which you can sleep in or in which you can, you know, sit in and relax in, um, and you're walking down the street and that's what you'd like to do, we, we need to allow that to happen. Right. Um, and I think that, um, you know, this idea that we have to keep folks who are experiencing homelessness away from the general population is not okay. Um, and I recognize that there is, you know, fear around things that people don't know and what people don't understand. And so we have to do a better job, I think, at educating people around those issues as well. Um, but I think we do need to make inclusive spaces, um, you know, and not target people for work just because they don't have a home.
0: I would agree with you. And actually, um, you're, you're, the way you were talking about things, it reminded me, which was sad to see, the, the viral video that went out of the homeless man uh, pushing his cart and it was on fire. And, and that went viral. Um, and there have been a few times where people have exploited such vulnerable people in our community through social media in this way. Mm. And in your view, what does this actually do? Um, and what does this do the, to the conversation of homelessness?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that my perspective is we really need to stop, uh, filming and taking pictures of people without their consent. Um, I think that we make a lot of assumptions. I think that in terms of looking at someone who has, uh, you know, created a way in which to warm themselves on a winter night and thinking that's a sad state of affairs, uh, for where we're at. I mean, I think that's one perspective, but I also think it speaks to someone's resilience. I think it speaks to someone's creativity. Uh, An ability to actually, um, you know, live through very difficult, difficult circumstances. And so, you know, I think that on social media is just such a terrible place for these conversations to happen, quite frankly. Um, You know, I avoid them as much as possible because it hurts my heart right? It's hurtful language that people are using. It's hurtful assumptions that people are using. And oftentimes it serves to perpetuate stigma, um, and, you know, marginalizes people further. So, you know, I don't think that those are the best tactics to bring light to what people are experiencing, um, when it comes to homelessness. I think that it can have quite harmful effects on people.
0: Exactly. Um, And you touched on stigma. So what are the misconceptions or stigmas about people experiencing homelessness that the average person would not know? Um, If you could give some insights about what it's like. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I, I would just, you know, I would just ask people to consider what it takes to experience homelessness on a day-to-day basis. You know, from figuring out where you're going to eat um, to where you're going to sleep, um, to where you're going to get, um, out of the rain or out of the elements that takes a lot of space, um, to consider, right. And it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of energy. And maybe you haven't even eaten for a couple of days to be able to have that energy to contemplate those things. Right. Um, and so I think that, you know, it is, it is really important for people to remember that homelessness isn't you're not just doing nothing <laughs> like your time and energy is occupied by survival. Um, and when we put people in that position of having to just survive, there isn't space to grow. There isn't space to find stability beyond that. There isn't space to contribute positively in this way to the community at large, to find work, you know, to find housing often, um, to attend appointments on time. Um, it, It creates a significant amount of barriers. And so I think it is, you know, um, we, there's, there's a good example of kind of how we think we might be able to put ourselves into understanding what it's like to be experienced, homeless, and homelessness, and people will do these spend a the night on the street, learn what it's like to be homeless. It doesn't do it. You don't get one night on the street knowing that you get to leave that and go back home. It doesn't give you a reflection of what it is like, right? Um, even if you leave your wallet at home, you know the next day you can just grab those resources again. And so I think what I would say is it's really important for people to stop assuming what that's like. Um, I think it's really important for people to stop assuming that people are lazy, you know, or, uh, or choosing this kind of space or lifestyle Um, choice is not equal to everyone. And um, we need to, you know, understand that everybody's circumstances is different. Um, And in terms of the lazy thing, I mean, come on, it's exhausting. Experiencing homelessness is exhausting. The things people have to put themselves through on a day-to-day basis in order um to survive it is an exhausting exhausting place to be so that's just one that just needs to be erased from that stigma completely
0: yeah glad you said that because you're right often people will you know say that's what it is the root of it is they're lazy and that's not the case and you're right uh, ch- they don't have the choice and and they're just trying to navigate um the system so leading into that what do you think would be concrete system level changes that we could do like improve programming? I I don't know. You're in it. You're, you're, you're seeing your clients. Um, What do you think could be done better? You know what? To give them the hand up that they need.
1: The answer to that hasn't changed in decades. Right. And, and so this is the thing is we keep saying like, how can we do this better? Like if we don't have housing as this foundational piece, You know, we we can keep trying things and doing them better, but we actually don't get to the solutions um, at the end of the day. Um, You know, and I think that the core pieces are one, we need to raise people's income, right? We need to be able to give people a basic level of income that actually they can rent a place. When you're on Ontario Works and you get just under $400 as a shelter allowance, where, where are you going? where are you going to be able to start to mean, like gain some stability when you're on disability and you get less than $1,200 a month and, you know, less than 500 of that is for shelter. Where do you start to, to get your stability? And I think that, you know, income is um, somehow a very controversial issue, but how can you expect people to, to, to move forward with their own stability without those foundational pieces. It's just impossible. Um, And so, and I think that one of the things the pandemic has taught us, we can do that. We can actually do that. We did that literally overnight where we said, people need at least $2,000 a month in order to survive on a basic level. Why are people experiencing poverty any different? that that makes no sense to me and and i think it it is a real um you know stark example of inequality in our country um and so i think that is a big thing that's something that needs to happen like now like yesterday right um i think that that is is something we need to stop arguing over and just do you know and i think housing is is something Obviously, we need to invest in more. We need to stop expecting that it's just governments and nonprofits that are responsible for that. Developers need to be responsible for that, too. And I don't think that that is unrealistic to say if you are going to build housing, you need to contribute to some level of affordability in the community in which you're building it. Um, So I think that also needs to be that needs to be done right away. Uh, I think we need to look at things like rent controls. You know, how is it that rents are uh, able to skyrocket overnight? I think we need to take a look at, um, you know, reining that in. Um, So, you know, that's kind of the housing and income piece. Those are big pieces. But then I think we also need to look at some of the big barriers that a lot of people experiencing homelessness have and and how we can um, make that a little easier. And, you know, I think that substance use is one of those big barriers. And not to say everyone who experiences homelessness uh, uses substances, but for those who do, um, that is going to make everything that you need to get done a lot harder. Um, there's a lot of stigma around that. We uh, talk about substance use as a moral and ethical issue when what we need to do is talk about it as a health issue and therefore develop the mechanisms and systems uh, that people can actually access in order to address those issues. We are still uh, primarily, um, you know, uh, a society that thinks that abstinence is the solution to substance use. And, and that's just not true. Um, and so I think that, you know, it's ludicrous that if you want to get off of fentanyl, if that's your drug of choice and not something that you'd like to get off of, you have to, you can't get a medical detox for free. You can't go away to say like, help me detox off these drugs um, with medical support for free. You have to pay for that. Right. It's it's typically only abstinence based treatments that are, are free, um, you know, and so I think we really need a medical model around that, um, you know, that a safe supply of um, of drugs for folks as well, um, that that really needs to be, um, you know, applied in a broader sense for folks who are using substances.
0: So you raised a lot of good things, like you're talking about the Serb, how that we were so quick, the government was so quick to deploy that. Now, given that these things have happened, um, do you find you're making gains in like with politics, you know, uh, getting the, uh, you know, citizens and politicians to understand that maybe this is an area we should continue to be supporting people that are low income and-
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that there is a greater understanding about what those solutions might look like out there. Um, from, you know, my neighbors to the folks at city council, right? I think that there is a greater understanding and I think that, We really need to leverage this experience now. We need to really drive that forward and really push that forward and be very vocal and not be afraid of taking some risks there to, to try things out, right? Um, we, we need to use this momentum to, um, create real sustainable change in a system that has, uh, just set up so many barriers for so many years. And so I'm hopeful, uh, um, you know, I'm hopeful that we get to, to take this and move forward and say, this system needs to change dramatically. But I mean, really we've been we've been saying the same things for decades, right? Um, and so the worry is that that gets lost as we move through this. So
0: yeah, we really need to keep that momentum going. So like you're talking about this momentum. So what can the average Londoner do to help with uh, this advocacy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, paying attention to, uh, you know, what's going on politically is really important. So who you vote for and what their, um, what their platform is around poverty and homelessness, that matters. Um, it matters significantly. I think that it's always, um, a good tactic to write a letter to your representatives at all levels of government to express your concern for poverty and homelessness, and that you would support something like increasing people's income, right? We need people out there saying, like, these are the solutions. Um, So I I think that those are kind of the things that everyday people can do. And I, I think that challenging each other on the language we use around homelessness is also really important. And it's a really hard conversation, um, you know, because people don't necessarily recognize some of the words they use or the way they talk about things is um, wrong.
0: Can you unpack that?
1: Yeah. So please, so much, please. Yeah. I mean, I think that it is about, you know, if going back to like people talking about, um, Uh, individuals experiencing homelessness as being lazy, right? Or as choosing this lifestyle. Um, You know, it is is when you don't have choice in front of you, right? Um, I think that that is, it's, that's the reality for a lot of people. So I I think that we just need to talk about it from a more um, holistic sense of like, there's complex issues here that people are facing. You cannot put it down to like they use drugs so they're making poor choices they fucked up in their life so it's their fault um I think we have to always bring it back to how the system is actually contributing to that piece and it's not to say there's not individual accountability there is in a day-to-day space of how people you know interact with the world and that's important too but it is very important to recognize that this is this is part of uh an intentional design of capitalism, right? Our system has actually um you know allowed this to happen. Um and and you know ha- has not stepped up enough to, to I think put in supports that can really let people move forward.
0: Very good. Are you seeing um Uh, progress in other communities I'm just wondering like are are you seeing other communities being more innovative and more forward thinking about this type of work or is this average in your opinion across the board
1: well I think actually I'll take this moment to highlight that London is uh, that kind of community to be honest I mean it's um you know and i wish i had a lot more time to spend in other communities so that i co- could comment more on on what folks are doing um but london has really made some significant um changes uh and progress over a number of years and even though we are still in this crisis uh, of homelessness and poverty in our community the the people um in this community doing this work have absolutely been so creative and so willing to work together and so willing to take on these big issues that we actually don't have enough resources to to address. But, you know, we're going to try and we're going to keep trying and we're going to keep trying something new and something different with the meager, uh, you know, supports that we have to access in order to do that work. And so I think that this community has been working hard. Um, and has really changed how we approach the issue. Um, and so I think that, you know, that one of those big foundational changes for us is that we're all rooted in the concept that housing is the outcome we need for folks, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so we're now at the point of being able to explore what different housing options might be able to, um, you know, exist in our community. But, you know, London has really been, um, I think London's probably been at the forefront of of reconfiguring how we address this issue um, in our yeah in our community.
0: Well, I didn't mean to. I didn't expect you to give me that answer, but I'm really pleased to hear that at least that's your observation that there is that movement in trying to change, move the needle on this issue. So I'm, and that's why I think specifically
1: that's that's why I know there's these bigger system issues right? We are doing the work. We are doing the work in this community every damn day, and we still hit barriers. And those barriers are ones that are kind of bigger than us, right?
0: Yeah, but you know what? Through, you know, our voices and uh, keep... uh requesting for change, it'll eventually push through, right? Because we're doing it at a local level, right? You can only do so, go so far municipally. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you got to go through the provincial level and all the way up to the federal level. And um, I I agree with you. And I'm really encouraged by your words that Londoners should be paying attention who they're voting, you know, and look at those platforms. And I certainly hope that the average Londoner that's listening to this podcast too, is inspired to take action as well. Uh, Yeah. So my final question is, what do you think London can be and how can we get there together? It's just just an easy question.
1: It's no problem. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that I think that London has a really good foundation to be a space that or be a city that is a place of belonging for everyone. Right? I think that we we we're small enough, uh, but also big enough <laughs> um, that we can create um a community that welcomes people and is welcoming to the people who are right here and who um supports folks when they are 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 struggling, and that there is adequate systems in place and uh, organizations and um, programs in place to do that. I, I think London. I think London is well on its way there. Um, and I, I'm hoping that we continue that as we move forward. Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome, Thank you, Chuck. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're incredibly busy, but any chance to speak with you is awesome. I know this is my first time to actually be in front of you. <laughs> I see you in <laughs> London. I see you everywhere. I read everything uh, that you do, and I'm just honored to have this time with you. So thank you for your time and for sharing your perspective. You yes. Okay. well, all the best to you, and hopefully we can bring you back too. Great, thanks. okay. Thank you for joining us for this episode of What London Can Be. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. To learn how to subscribe to this podcast and for more information about today's guest, visit us at lcf.on.ca slash whatlondoncanbe. If you like this podcast, tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find links on our website. Thank you again for joining us.